radical statement for a religious community to make. And I realize I'm speaking from my own limited perspective, so maybe this is a Western Hemisphere kind of thing, but I feel pretty sure that it is still rare to have this explicitly acknowledged within a religious tradition. Now, I think it is true that there is a greater theological diversity within most congregations of any tradition than is acknowledged and often more than is even suspected. But it is not held up as an important characteristic of these other communities. It may be accepted, but not necessarily welcomed. We invite theological diversity, welcome it, see it not only as a characteristic of our congregations, but as a strength. That's the ideal, anyway. We don't always live up to our ideals, of course, because it's one thing to welcome theological diversity in theory, and it's another to live out what that means in community. And there are many possible explanations for those times we fail to realize our ideal. Sometimes people come here having escaped, or if not escaped, left with intention, another religious tradition. And those experiences vary from simply not fitting in with that former tradition to feeling very wounded by it. So they come seeking freedom from what they had experienced of religion. So when they run across things here that feel religious in that way or even honor and celebrate the tradition which they chose to leave, there is understandable hesitation, if not visible bristling. I thought I came here to get away from that, they may say. That doesn't belong here. Sometimes our reluctance to fully celebrate religious diversity comes from a more global critique. We see in this country and across the world the ways in which religion divides people, ignites and inflames prejudice and discrimination, and justifies behavior that would be considered unethical in any other context without the supposed divine stamp of approval. So, noting the very real danger of religion gone wrong, we may back away from an invitation to explore the gems of wisdom that these traditions hold. When religions lend themselves to such harm, we say, shouldn't we look elsewhere for inspiration, compassion, and transformation? Sometimes, faced with the challenge of coming from many different places in our religious lives, we make an unspoken agreement to just not talk about those things. It is so much easier to practice tolerance of theological diversity if we never have to actually confront the particularities of just how diverse we really are. Isn't that great? Here in this place where in our principles we covenant to affirm and promote acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. Here in our congregation, which should be the place where we can most freely talk about our inner lives, we refrain from talking about our inner lives. Just so that we don't experience that look of disapproval or disagreement on another's face or wear that disapproving expression on our own as someone shares their own sources of revelation and restoration. 
I think it's important to look at this because to the extent that we fail at this, we are missing out on a profound richness in our tradition. Consider for a moment the sources of our tradition. They give a taste of the richness that awaits us if we but fulfill the promise of our diversity. These sources are included on one of the first pages in each of our hymnals. I think it's page six or seven. You're free to turn to that page if you want, um, but I'll read through the sources quickly. It's the one that starts, we the member congregations, and then about halfway down the page it says, the living tradition which we share draws from many sources. If you use the teal hymnal, you will definitely find six sources listed. If you use a gray hymnal, you may find five or six, depending on the publication date. And I'll explain that when we get to the sixth source. The living tradition which we share draws from many sources. I urge you to remember these and refer to these. Look them up online. They're available online. Sit with them for a while. See how each source may have influenced and or inspired you. Here they are. Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Wisdom from the world's religions which inspires us in our ethical and spiritual life. Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. Spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. Now the first one talks about direct experience. That is first. Experience is a scripture for Unitarian Universalists. This is why we can't prescribe a one-size-fits-all system of belief or set of doctrines because they must arise from one's experience and may indeed change over time. Second, words and deeds of prophetic women and men. This source will likely be revised at this year's General Assembly so that this reads words and deeds of prophetic people allowing us to leave behind the gender binary and celebrate the gender splendor of human experience. Words and deeds of prophetic people of any or no particular religion which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil. Third, wisdom from the world's religions. Wow, that is all in one source. Wisdom from the world's religions. Wisdom which inspires us in our ethical and spiritual lives. That is big. That's universalism. Wisdom from all of the world's religions. I was asked once by someone not familiar with Unitarian Universalism, and after hearing about our theological diversity, it was another clergy person actually, He said, well, what do you use as scripture? 
what is your sacred text? And I said, all of them. Kind of like Sarah Palin when they asked her what news magazine she read. She said, I said, all of them, all of them and more. Now, that doesn't mean that I have studied them all or that each individual Unitarian Universalism treats them all as scripture, but they are all available to us. And I don't mean that in a shallow smorgasbord kind of way where we simply sample and move on, but hopefully in a respectful way that honors the integrity of each and the traditions from whence they came, searching out the essence of each like a bee gathering honey from different flowers. Then, Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, presumably, this would be included in wisdom from the world's religions. And I believe this source is there to honor our historical roots in Christianity. I will also point out that this is the only place, along with the second source, throughout all of the principles and sources where the word love appears. Next, humanist teachings, which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. Humanism is a strong thread in our tradition to the present day, recognized by Unitarian Universalists as a valid religious path. And I love that last phrase about warning us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. It gives me that sense that each of these sources have something to offer the others. And how lucky we are. We forthrightly acknowledge them all and are encouraged to engage them as individuals and as a community as we pursue a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. This one has a special place in my heart for it was adopted in my early years as a Unitarian Universalist back in 1995. I was blown away by the fact that a religious tradition could adopt a new source. That held a wonderful magic for me. And help me to realize the promise of a religious community that keeps our doors open to theological diversity. The fact that we learn who we are by looking at where we came from, but also revise our understanding of where we came from by looking at who we are. We suddenly had people uh, coming, not suddenly, over time had people coming who were practicing earth-centered traditions, pagan and Wiccan and native traditions. And we said, wait a minute, this is not acknowledged in our sources anywhere, explicitly. Now, having grown up in churches where words like humanism and paganism were dirty words, and Buddhism and Hinduism were considered dangerously other It was magical to have a tradition that forthrightly encouraged me to explore those traditions, affirming that there were gifts to be found in each. It was magical to learn from other Unitarian Universalists to listen to their experiences and insights as to how different traditions came alive in their understanding and practice. And 
I felt encouraged in this exploration to also return to my own early religious training. Whatever disagreements I may have had with the theology at times, and most of that disagreement revolved around the notion that there was only one way, but whatever disagreements I had, there were also wonderful gifts I was given, things which continue to nourish me as a Unitarian Universalist, not least of all that love that is highlighted in the fourth source. We don't want to miss the opportunity to listen deeply and speak truthfully about the varieties of religious experience that are represented in this community. Our third principle does not say agreement with one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. We don't have to worry about not seeing things the same way. It says acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. As my friend and colleague Ken Collier put it so beautifully in his new book, what I know religiously is what heals my heart. It need not be the same thing that someone else knows religiously. Indeed, in a certain sense, it cannot be. I do not say this is what I believe. You must believe it too. Rather, I say this is what I believe. It is my story. Tell me your story. We don't agree or disagree with experience. I can learn from listening to your story. I can even learn from my own inner response to your story. If I feel a resonance or if I feel unsettled in some way, where does that come from? What does it mean? And just a few words about the song we started out with, that old-time religion. I've seen the verses that Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie often performed, and it is hard to track down where all these lyrics came from. I've heard them described as a parody of the original song. I just want to say that I did not mean to offer the song as a parody of anyone's religious faith certainly not to dishonor the roots of the song as an African-American spiritual. I did mean for it to be a hopefully somewhat humorous, lighthearted celebration of the many forms that an old-time religion might take. I have written many verses. Elba kindly edited the song for presentation. We will sail with good old Noah while we watch the water flow. We don't care just where we go. That's good enough for me. Make a pilgrimage to Mecca, even though it's a long trekker. We just figure what the hecka, and that's good enough for me. We'll give honor to the goddess, even though the church has fought us. We'll remember what she taught us, and that's good enough for me. You get the picture. But there are so many more verses to write, and you can help me with that. I wanted it to be a celebration of the many paths to truth and meaning. Lighthearted because, after all, all of these traditions and perspectives and stories are attempting to describe things that are deeper and wider and higher than we can reach. So we must hold them close and hold them lightly all at the same time. 
They are fingers pointing at the moon. And it is important to have a finger to point, but the finger is not the point, if you know what I mean. (laughs) The light we are pointing to does not emanate from the finger. For all of our differing ways of perceiving and understanding and articulating, we would be one under the light that shines on us all. And for that, we are exceedingly grateful.